I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning with WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. We all have a public persona, the one we let the world see. Our work personality, our behavior at parties, our disposition in challenging moments, our temperament when dealing with others. These are all part of how we are seen by others. But we are all much more than that. Every one of us is composed of formative experiences that build our character, but aren't as apparent or evident to the people around us. While you may think your friends are an open book, sharing with you their dreams, their loves, their fears, chances are there is more to their story that they are unable or unwilling to share. They may not even realize how formative certain experiences have been. We are all much more than our public persona. We are all forged through our unique experiences and even deeper, our individual interpretation of those experiences. As John Milton in Paradise Lost wrote, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. Perspective matters. To one person, an experience makes them stronger and more resolute. To another, going through the same thing, it may break them. I just watched A Star is Born with my almost teenage daughter, and for those of you who have seen it, it's a sad, sad movie. It really is. I won't ruin the ending for you. But I asked her afterward what she thought, and she said, you don't always know someone by what you see on the outside. And she made me cry a little bit by realizing that at 12, almost 13. Today's guest, Lauren Sisler, is an award-winning sports reporter for the SEC Network, two-time Alabama Sportscaster of the Year, Emmy Award winner, two-time Alabama Associated Press Best Sports Anchor. She's a rock star in the sports media, but she, like you, is much more than that. She is an amalgamation of events and experiences and interpretations. Remember earlier when I said the same experience can break one person and make another stronger? Lauren Sisler is the embodiment of that. She dealt with unspeakable tragedy early in life that could have and maybe should have broken her, but it didn't. She found a way through it all, and not just through it, beyond it, to a heralded life on the other side. This story is about much more than just being a high-profile sports reporter. Yes, we will talk about that, and yes, Lauren will share incredible career advice, but it's also about the person inside all of us, the unification of events that creates us, and then what we choose to do with the experience. We aren't just the standardized results of our experiences. We all have a choice in it all. At some moment, maybe she can pinpoint it or maybe not, Lauren Sisler decided that she wasn't going to be defeated by her experiences. She would persevere and she would thrive. Let's let her tell it. Here's Lauren Sisler. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing today? 
I am doing great. How are you doing? I am so excited to talk to you. I'm doing great. This is one of those conversations I love to have because we have a similar background working in the sports media, but we got there in totally different ways. So it's a fun way to explore what you're doing now, your background in history, and just try to teach so many of our people in our audience that are interested in the sports media more about this industry. Yeah, absolutely. I love opportunities like this because I was once in those shoes and I'm still always learning. That's one thing about this business and this industry is you never stop learning. You never stop growing and giving people the opportunity to kind of see that and you take those steps. And so I'm really looking forward to this and, uh, you know, hopefully giving some people some insight and advice into the world of uh, sports broadcasting. Oh, you definitely will. But before we get into that, before we get into your really cool role now with the SEC Network and what it's like covering such major college events, let's go back to your beginning a little bit. And I want to know like your reasoning for getting into this side of the sports industry. You were a highly recruited gymnastics athlete in high school. You had a lot of options for your college experience. Uh, To make it in Division I sports takes a lot of discipline. Looking back, what did you kind of learn about yourself as you did this push towards college and, and career and all the things that would come ahead of you? Yeah, well, obviously, in the sport of gymnastics especially, it does take a lot of discipline. Um, you know, I'm training 20 to 25 hours per week. I am, I'm actually commuting over an hour each way to gymnastics practice every day. And so the discipline and the time management and the work ethic and all the things that went into being a gymnast, uh, you know, the, the, the demands of it were something that really took up a lot of my time. And it sort of helped me to realize, though, that I – could be focused on taking that next step. And I'll have to tell you, um, you know, when you are in this sport, it becomes normal. When you look back, you think about gymnastics, what pushed you to be who you are today, and it gives you that skill set. And really, I would say that I learned from this, um, you know, just just being a gymnast and having my sights set on being a collegiate athlete was the, the work ethic, the time management, the organization, but really the resilience. And I think that is sort of what has kind of pushed me into this industry as somebody that loves sports, loves being around sports. Um, you know, I've always, I've always been somebody that just loves that athletic mindset and just really having fun with it. And I think there's a lot of camaraderie that comes with sports. Um, you know, there's that sort of family feeling that comes with sports, but being able to take that to the next level. You get to experience as an athlete, as an athlete, but then you take that next step and you're sort of on the outside looking in, but you can empathize and sympathize with these athletes, these coaches, these fans, everyone that is involved in the sport and in the game. And it's so much fun. And I think that's really, what really kind of led me into the sports industry as somebody that grew up around athletics my entire life, was an athlete. You know, if, if, if we were watching TV, it was NASCAR, it was college football, it was NFL, um, it was traveling to all my brother's sporting events, and then, of course, traveling to all my gymnastics competitions. It's, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this show, and everybody listening is probably used to me saying this a lot, but I think there's such an unheralded part of being a student athlete that not enough people in employment or in the sports industry celebrate in that there's this, there's leadership skills, there's discipline, there's time management, there's teamwork, there's a coachability, all these great attributes that come from being a student athlete. You personally chose Rutgers and eventually earned a role as team captain of the gymnastics team, which is a huge leadership position. At one point, did you figure out you wanted to make sports more of a career decision rather than just something you did as part of your college experience? Like what what made you want to take that to the next level? 
Yeah, that's such a great question because here in the sport of gymnastics, one thing that people don't realize, gymnastics is a very individualized sport. And so when I was growing up competing, I was very much an individual. So when I went to competitions, it was always me, myself, and I. You go out there, you perform, you hit all four events, and you move on, and you hope you just improve. And then you get to college, and suddenly you're part of a team. And it's like, whoa, this is amazing. Like now all of a sudden I'm part of something even greater than myself. I'm contributing to a team. And I would say that, you know, throughout my college experience, I started to realize even more that this is sort of the direction I wanted to go. I wanted to be part of a team. I wanted to be part of those stories and being able to tell the stories of others. And truth be told, um, when I entered into college, growing up my entire life, I wanted to actually be a sports doctor. And so, of course, not a complete 180 because the sports factor is still in there. But I went from wanting to, you know, help athletes on the, the, the medical side of things because I was an athlete as a gymnast that went through my fair share of injuries, um, you know, and I know how important it was for me to stay healthy, going to my orthopedic doctor, getting things squared away because in the sport of gymnastics, you lose so much time with those injuries um, and being able to get back out on the playing field or the, the, the floor, if you will, is so difficult. But when I got to college, I started to realize being in this team environment, this atmosphere, it's this adrenaline rush that you get. It's this excitement that is so hard to replicate. And, you know, you look back at it, you only get four years, um, you know, four years to be that college athlete. And then it's over. It's like a blink of an eye. Right. And I kind of joke about this, but there's no such thing is going out and playing a pickup game of gymnastics in your backyard. So that's over. Yeah. So the, the, the sport of gymnastics is pretty much over when uh, when you graduate, unlike football or basketball where you can kind of go out and shoot some hoops or, um, you know, play two-hand touch or whatever it may be. And so I think that's sort of what really drove me into this sports arena is because I loved it. But again, things were a little different for me. My perception of what I wanted to do going into college certainly evolved and changed. Is that competitiveness that, that you get from competing in sports? And I think that's a really interesting point you brought up because I never really thought of it that way. Like once you finish, you're finished in, in gymnastics in a lot of way. There's no vault set up in the backyard. Um, but is that competitiveness something that kind of drove you into the reporter side too and that fighting for stories? And that it, it seems like a, a, a same sort of um, edge of your seat kind of existence where you're trying to come up with new ways of telling a story or whatever it may be. Is that competitiveness kind of translate to your career now? Absolutely. I will tell you that has been become such a big part of this career and what I love about it so much. So there's this adrenaline that comes with being an athlete, right? So you're getting ready for your big game. You're getting ready to go out there and compete, show the world what you're made of. And, and you know, I take you back to the sport of gymnastics because that is what I, what I know best. But I remember, you know, when you're getting ready for your next person up and you are getting ready to salute the judges and mount the bars or the beam or whatever it may be, there is this adrenaline that runs through you and it cannot be replicated. It, it is hard to replicate that adrenaline and that feeling of what you're about to do when you go out there and compete in front of an audience, in front of an audience or in front of your family or your coaches, whoever it may be, but it is a feeling that is like none other. And I think that when, like you said, we talked about that is over, it is so hard to get that back. But I can tell you in, in, in sports reporting and sports broadcasting, live television, 
there is something so unique about it. Yeah. And I don't care how many reps, reps you get in. I don't care how many times you step out on that big stage and, and, and you report a story or cover a game as a sideline reporter, whatever it may be. That adrenaline is always going. And I love that because it's almost like, you know, right, right when we're counting down to the start of a football game, let's just say, and you can hear them in the booth with the countdown and they start there, you know, up in the booth, the analyst and play-by-play starts their discussion. And then, you know, you're about 30 seconds away and they give you that in your ear and they say, you know, you've been in the booth, you know what it's like. Um, you get that 30 seconds and you know, and your heart kind of starts to pound, mm-hmm. but it's like an excitement. It's a, it's a, it's a nervousness but an exciting nervousness. And it's sort of the same thing that I used to feel as a gymnast. And then when it's all said and done, you come off this adrenaline high and you feel like you've achieved something. There's a certain reward that comes from it, you know, and you're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to look back and say, well, man, I messed that one up. I stumbled through that one. Or you're going to look back and say, man, I kicked butt. That was awesome. And, um, you know, I think that's what I love so much about it because you really get to sort of replicate that in this industry because you are up against the deadline. You are in a time slot. You are, you know, out there to perform and do your very best. And again, you're going to have some good days and bad days, but I think that's what makes it so awesome is because you're always growing, you're always improving, and you're kind of always looking for that quote unquote personal best. It's so true that that intensity and that adrenaline rush and that just competitive nature comes through every time I would walk into a control room, every time I was finishing prepping a show, every time I was talking with my anchors, you know, whatever it was, we were going through story ideas, that energy level is so hard to replicate. And it is very akin to a sports experience, different, but similar. And I can understand why so many athletes like yourself and like so many others we've talked to who gravitate towards the media because it's still got that competitive nature. Before we get into more about your career, I do want to go back for a second. Uh, the college period of time is so formulative for everybody, right? It, it really builds our foundation. It's hard being a student athlete. We talked about the discipline and the time management and the training, all the things that go into that. It's hard being just a college student and being far away from home for the first time. But you personally dealt with something I believe is unimaginable your freshman year, the death of both of your parents to prescription drug overdoses within hours of each other. Two years ago, you wrote a gut-wrenching first-person view of that day and all that transpired. It's a hard but I think beautiful read, and I'm going, I will link to it in the show notes of this episode so other people can read it as well. I know this is a difficult question and a difficult conversation. But going back to that time, how did you conjure up the strength as an 18-year-old to continue your path? And as you look back, how did you get where you are now? Ooh, well, the, uh, you know, it is certainly something that takes me back. What's crazy is we are doing this podcast here right now. Um, yesterday was 16 years to the day since both of my parents passed away when I was a freshman at Rutgers. Wow. And that day, um, you know, you just grow up and you have this vision of sort of what you think your life should be and what you think is sort of your perfect world. And honestly, I think that for me was me living out my dream as a collegiate athlete. I wanted to earn a college scholarship in gymnastics. That was something I always had my sights set on really from middle school on up. And here I am at Rutgers living out my dream, still trying to make my way. And, and, and that adjustment, as you talk about, um, is so hard. You're already eight, I'm eight hours from home. 
but I always had such a strong connection with my parents. You know, I know I, I talked to some kids that are like, yeah, you know, I talked to my parents, you know, once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks, but that was not the case with my parents. You know, there were two people that really sort of lifted my spirits and, you know, I'd have a bad day in the gym and my mom would always have the right thing to say, you're going to go back out there and do just fine tomorrow, you know, and my dad, we would always just have conversations about life and school and, you know, I was really close to my parents. So even when I went off to college, I still kept that open line of communication. And so I just always felt that they were such a big part of my life. And you, you talk about this story and, and the unimaginable with the prescription drug overdoses. I mean, this is something that shocked the entire world. I mean, my entire network of people, me, my family, my brother, my aunt and uncle, uh, my grandparents, everybody around us were so shocked by this happening. And it was just something that, um, you know, we just couldn't believe this, this could happen to my parents, two people that woke up every single day with a smile on their face. And unfortunately, um, they became addicted to their prescription drugs. They were both uh, seeking pain management for various chronic pain issues they had. My mom had degenerative disc disease and my father some chronic pain. Um, he also struggled with PTSD from his service in the military. And they were going to this pain management doctor and we just had no idea it was going on. And as you can imagine, like I'm a, I'm a freshman at Rutgers. And so now I'm out of the house. My brother is in the Navy. He is stationed at Virginia beach about four hours from home. Okay. And so it's just my parents. And I think the biggest thing um, that really kind of came from it is just the shock and, and just not understanding how something like this could happen to my parents without anybody knowing and again, you know, these were two people that just woke up every day with a smile on their face and we knew they were in pain, but we thought they were managing their pain and we thought those prescriptions were managing their pain. But unfortunately, they started abusing it because they needed it to be able to function every day. And so as this is going on, it really, um, it rocked my world. I got this phone call from my father that my mom had died. No explanation. Get on the next plane you can. I'll be at the airport to pick you up. And I get to the airport and he's nowhere to be found. And he doesn't show up that day to pick me up. And so it was devastating for me. And of course I go home. I have to take care of everything while I'm home. And at this point it's that evaluation, like, okay, I'm in the middle of my second semester at Rutgers. I'm in the, it's the middle of the season for gymnastics and I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. And I think that the bigger part of me wanted to stay home. I wanted to stay home and sort of just let this thing run its course um, right. if it ever would. And really just kind of take a break, take, take some time away. But I have to tell you, my aunt and uncle who really kind of took me under their wing said to me, they're like, Lauren, like you have to go back to school. You have a commitment to yourself, your university, to your teammates, and your parents would want this for you. And so I knew that if I didn't go back to school, what was I going to do? Just sit at home and, and let my life pass me by and let all my dreams sort of just implode right in front of me. And so I think that was the best decision I could have made when all this happened was to go back to school. So two weeks after we buried my parents, we, um, you know, I went back to Rutgers and it was a struggle. I mean, it was an absolute struggle. And when I tell you it was a, a roller coaster ride from H E double hockey sticks, that's exactly what it was because I just could not, um, I, I, I was like suffocating from this, this, this grief. And, you know, I'm, I'm an AB honor roll student. Suddenly I'm making C's and D's 
And I'd never seen an F on a paper in my entire life. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what in the world is happening? I'm in and out of the training room. I'm struggling with that, um, you know, with gymnastics, uh, you know, cry myself to sleep every night. And so I have to tell you earlier, I alluded to that I went into school thinking I was going to be a sports doctor because that's sort of what I had always dreamed of and thought I wanted to be. But after about a year of this struggle, basically finishing out that second semester of my freshman year and then my sophomore year, I was still taking those pre-med courses. And I started to realize I was so unhappy. I just, you know, I was struggling. I was drowning with this, this, this grief and this pain and ultimately knew that I was not on the right track in terms of my career. I, you know, I wasn't enjoying the curriculum. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing as a sports doctor. I wasn't enjoying the sciences as much as I thought I would. And ultimately sort of took a step back and had this reevaluation of myself and said, okay, Lauren, you have to control your destiny. This is up to you. Nobody else is going to do this for you. And I can sit here all day long on the pity pot and say, man, you know, I get a hall pass. And, you know, I got a C or an E on this paper because my parents died. No. Like at the end of the day, I have to pick myself back up and keep moving. And so what really happened is um, I really leaned into my resources at Rutgers. You know, uh, as, as a student athlete, you were given so many wonderful resources. And I was able to lean into my academic advisors. I was able to get some tutoring and really sort of evaluate who I was and what I wanted to be. And I'll tell you, the light bulb kind of went off. You know, I talked to my family, my aunt, uncle, and just said, you know, I'm just not happy doing this. What should I do? And right. I really um, got to a point where I knew that I needed to change my career path. And it started there. And so that's sort of what led me into thinking about sports broadcasting. You know, we sort of do, you know, those personality quizzes you hear about. Yeah. Like they're legit, you know. Um, so I kind of found that obviously sports is something I'm passionate about, but I also have this ability to connect with others. And I think that's sort of what led me in that direction, because not only do I get to cover sports, but now I get to connect with people on a completely different level. And I think that's what really sort of set me off and helped me realize maybe this is a career path and something that I would love and enjoy doing. And so really within two and a half years, I finished my studies and I still, by the grace of God, graduated on time in 2006 with my degree and, uh, you know, was able to kind of put the wheels in motion. There's so often that you hear stories like this and, and true grief that people go through. And eventually, over time, not immediately, of course, but over time, people are able to turn it into a positive influence, a positive change. I think you sharing this story, and, and, and it obviously is something our society is still very much dealing with. I think your ability to share this story and make others feel like they're not alone if they're struggling with the same kind of problems or understanding that it is a problem and I'm being able to identify it. I wonder if that hasn't helped you in some ways heal, but also um, be able to affect change in others. Absolutely. And I think that is what has evolved over time for me is I for so long was so ashamed of my story because look, bottom line is the word overdose and or drug addict is so hard to hear and to, to think about. And I could never use those two words in the same sentence as both of my parents because I was ashamed of it. I said, my right. parents aren't drug addicts. You know, they're, they're, they're great people. They're so loving and they're loved by so many people and they're so supportive and they love me and my brother unconditionally and they make sure we have a roof over our head and food on the table, a hot meal every single night. My parents aren't drug addicts. 
But what I realized is so many people are going through this and it honestly took me being okay with my own story to see that and to realize that addiction is a widespread epidemic. So many people are impacted by it, whether it be a family member, um, you know, somebody they go to church with, uh, the person checking them out at the grocery store, whatever it may be, somebody is impacted by addiction. And, it, and it's something that affects us all. And I think I had to come to terms with that before I could ultimately be okay with, you know, who I was and my identity. And it almost was this, it was this miraculous feeling of this weight lifted off my shoulders. These shackles of shame came off when I was able to tell people the truth of what happened to my parents. And honestly, it took about seven years to actually do that because I was so afraid that I was going to destroy my parents' legacy. What people knew of my parents and the two people that they were, I was so petrified that people would judge them and judge me and my family differently. But what I ultimately realized, once I told the truth, people embraced the truth and they wanted to hear the truth and, you know, actually embraced me and my family and my parents even more and said, you know, it's so sad to know that they were going through that and were in so much pain. And yet they still every day woke up and did what they needed to do to be able to help you and your brother become the successful people that you are today. I think so many people would have dealt with the same issue differently. And, and that's not to judge. That's some, so many people I think would have gone into that shell, would have hidden the, under the covers for at months and years at a time, maybe would have failed out of college and gone down a completely different path. This may be a strange follow-up or a tough question, but do you ever take a moment to almost congratulate yourself in a way or be proud of yourself for getting through this and getting to the point that you are now in your own happiness story and in your own career? That is a really good follow-up question. Um, you know, I think that when I look at my story and look at what has happened, uh, you know, I'm definitely, I'm definitely one of those people that kind of gets a little uh, embarrassed or a little shy when, when, when compliments roll in, you know, I'm very humbled by it. And so I guess when I think about my story and what has happened, um, you know, so many people with the outreach of, you know, you're so strong to be able to get through that, the resilience and this and that. And, and I guess for me um, to really think about it, and I, when I sit back and think about it, I truly feel that while it was such a tragic situation, and if I could bring my parents back today, I would in a heartbeat. But obviously, we know we can't erase time. We can't change what has happened. But I do feel blessed because I feel that that situation and what happened and where I am now looking back has molded me into who I am today. And so to answer your question, I would say, yes, I think that when I do find time to reflect on my successes um, and whatever it may be, the little victories, the, the big victories, whatever it may be, I do think to myself, wow, you know, despite all that's happened, I'm here now. And, you know, I have a lot of people to thank for it. You know, it wasn't just me. You know, I, I have to thank all my my family and my friends and, and my teammates. And, you know, I still think my network at Rutgers really saved me because they were there for me in probably my weakest moments. And so, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, when, when you reflect on that, I'm sitting here going really deep right now into reflection mode. Uh, you know, I am very thankful that I came out on top. Uh, you know, away from 
what potentially could have been a crash course to disaster. I'm really thankful that you're sharing this, and I and I hope that I didn't take any liberties and pry into your personal life because I do know that it's a it's a hard story to recount. But I think that everyone listening will be very appreciative of the message you're sharing. There's no easy way to. Well, tra- let me tell you. Let me let me tell you real quick. Yeah. I am an open book right here. I am probably the biggest open book you'll ever meet, and so I'm somebody that uh, you know. Sometimes people have to tell me, man. You know, you, you like to give every little detail about everything. I'm like, that's what I do. I'm a reporter, right? I got to ask the questions and I got to sell the story. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share that. And I just hope that people will find some sort of inspiration, no matter what it is they're going through in life, no matter what it is that is, is um, you know, has them down, whether it be not getting a call back for an interview or, you know, going on television and having an epic fail or you broke up with your girlfriend or whatever it may be. Everybody goes through something. And that is something so important to remember. Nothing too big or too small. Everyone has a story and everyone is going through something. And so I think it's so important that you always look ahead and you always take that next step and stand tall and you, you, you really just have to, you know, kind of put yourself put yourself out there and take that next step and know that there's always going to be a better tomorrow. Things are going to get better and you just got to keep fighting. You got to keep fighting. And, you know, uh, you know, those, those things that happen to you, those negative things, anything that's going on in your life, you know, you just have to find the positives in it. And, and eventually you're going to look back and say, man, you know, that was really tough to go through, but I'm so thankful I'm where I'm at now. Perfectly said. And I think that's a great place to, to wrap it up and we'll continue on to the career side of things now. It's never easy to transition from that deep of and personal of a conversation, but such an impactful one. And I'm glad that we were able to have it. But I do want to talk about your career in sports broadcasting because I think that's a lot of what people are also very interested in, both sides of you. You graduate from Rutgers and obviously you've said a lot of great things about Rutgers and the program and the way it helped you transition for yourself. Uh, you graduate with a degree in communication and you're focused on sports broadcasting. How did you get that first shot in the business? Because that can be one of those hardest steps is so many people right now listening are in college and are looking ahead to that day they graduate and getting that first opportunity. How did that come about for you? Yeah, that is one of the biggest questions I get when I, when I speak to, um, you know, students, aspiring journalists is how do you take that next step? And I think the biggest thing that comes from it, you know, when you earn that first shot, you know, for me personally, um, it started with an internship and then it was that, that growth into going into, um, you know, working, working for CNBC, the financial news network as a, as a tech op, you know, I'm rolling teleprompter, I'm doing tape playback, I'm learning the foundation of television. And then it's taking the next step to where I'm working as a photographer and editor and, and really trying to, um, you know, hone in those skills. And so in this business, you know, you learn to do a lot of things. It is not just step out in front of a camera and grab a microphone and, and talk. There is so much more that goes into it. And I would say really it was the development and taking each of those steps and t- taking each of those steps in stride, getting to that next place, um, getting that opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, really learn and grow with the business and really just learn the foundation of it. And I think that really kind of set me up for that next step and getting my shot. And really, I would say that that opportunity came, um, you know, once I had sort of developed some of my skills as a photographer and editor, when I was in my hometown working for two years, uh, I was able to, um, you know, work that job and sort of kind of work the local scene sort of around what I was accustomed to there in Roanoke, Virginia. 
And then I sent out my resume tape. I like to call it your recruiting tape, you know, like an athlete. You send it out. You hope somebody loves you and takes a chance on you. And I was very thankful to get my first on-air TV job at um, WTAP in Parkersburg, Virginia. And, of course, that's a very small market. And um, I didn't really know a whole lot about sports there in, in West Virginia and or Ohio since I was right there on the border. Um, but knew it was a great opportunity to cover sports and really sort of um, kind of get my reps in, which is uh, always the most interesting part of this because getting those reps in, you got to start somewhere. And let me tell you, it is not easy uh, when that red light comes on for the first time because I've had I've had my fair share of um, – my my blooper reel is is quite quite extensive, if you will. <laughs> I love. Uh, we have to see that one of these days. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh huh. I, I know. It's uh, tough. It's floating around somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I love the fact that you brought this up in that I think right now the perception in so many young people's minds are I have an opinion about sports and I have an iPhone and I can record myself. Therefore, I am talented enough to go on the air tomorrow. Right. And yet what you're mm-hmm. saying, which I think is so incredibly valuable as somebody that's worked in the industry myself in the in the sports media and sports broadcasting world, there are so many parts of the industry from editing to to shooting, to audio, to booking guests. There's so many layers to it from a technical standpoint, from a content standpoint. And the fact that you worked your way up getting that experience and working your way up that ladder, I think is an important thing to stress to everybody. So Roanoke, Virginia, WTAP after that, and then on to Alabama at CBS 42, where you you really started to get your, your opportunities. Is that a part of the industry that we don't talk about enough? Is that people that want to work in sport broadcasting may start out in Pocatello, Idaho, and then end up in Champaign, Illinois, and then Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then they're moving all over the place and having to relocate and learn a new sports market and understand an audience? And is that a part of the challenge that we probably don't talk enough enough about? Absolutely. I think it is a huge challenge and something I really didn't know a lot about going into it. You know, I think for me, I will say going off to school eight hours from home in New Jersey was probably sort of the start of that trend for me, of that ability to kind of be okay with just separating from home and being able to go do that. Um, I will say I was fortunate to go back home for two years and get to work, as I said, as a photographer and editor. And that's really where I got my foundation and started putting together little stories here and there that I could actually put on a reel. But then moving off to West Virginia, when I tell you I am, I am sending out tape, I guess at this point, um, I will say they were DVDs. Uh, I know I'm dating <laughs> myself here. So we weren't quite in the era of sending YouTube links, you know, where you can upload everything to YouTube or Vimeo now and yep. everything's digital. So, I mean, I'm stuffing envelopes galore and I'm applying for every job you can think of. Even if it says we need a reporter that's got two years of reporting experience, I'm applying for it. I don't care. I'm applying for anything and everything. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that, especially when you're sort of new to the business, you know, you may not have as many connections or really have those people that work internally in these news stations and these organizations to really get you uh, that, I guess, one-on-one interview as quickly, um, you know. So I'm just sending this stuff out, just hoping I'll get a bite somewhere. Somebody will, will take note. And, um, you know, again, I'm extremely green. But I think the whole idea of being willing to just pack up and move is so important. Um, 
And that's not to say that you just have to uproot your entire life and, and move across the country. But hey, that might be what it takes. But what I try to tell people too, it's not forever. Look, um, I look at it kind of like an adventure. It's something fun. They always say you should travel when you're young, right? You should travel and be okay to, yep. to uproot yourself when you're young. Because when you get older, you realize you want to settle down and have a family and do all those things. So to me, it's like, what is two years? Okay, so you go off to college for four years. So you've done that. You know, split that in half. You go somewhere for two to three years. Um, that's typically what a contract ends up being and looking like. Um you do two years and it is literally a blink of an eye. And I'll tell you, that first year is a transition. It's learning the market. It's learning the sports teams. And finally, when you start to get the hang of it, next thing you know, you're already starting to look for jobs and starting to try to move yourself up the ranks and take that next step. And so really two years, like I tell people, just goes so quick. Yeah. And so if you're contemplating it and concerned about making that move, um, it, you know, it can be difficult and, you know, you're, you're packing up, you're moving, you're, you're probably not going to make a ton of money right out of the gate, but the experience is so invaluable. Like, I mean, I just tell you that, that what I learned in Parkersburg, West Virginia was incredible. Um, you know, the, the experience I learned there, what, what I was able to take from that was something that really propelled me. And I think set me up and helped me prepare for my next step into Alabama. And yep. then the time that I spent in at CBS 42 in Alabama set me up to take that next step to move over to AL.com and then obviously move up the ranks and be able to, um, you know, start working for SEC Network as a reporter and, and doing sideline for football and gymnastics. Yeah, it's an amazing career arc that you've gone through. Alabama was a pretty big step. Being able to cover football in Bama as the Crimson Tide and Auburn Tigers were both winning championships. Yeah, that seems like an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to cover those events and be really uh, underneath and, and behind the scenes with it. How did you leverage these high profile programs and their successes into your own personal success? I mean, I definitely I definitely tell people when I go speak, I'm like, man, I could not have timed that out more perfectly. Coming to Alabama in 2011, I mean, we've covered a multi, I, I can't even keep track of how many national championships, you know, it's, know, it's, right? been, it's been every year. If not a national championship, it's been a college football playoff, you know? Um, and so I will say that's been, that has been huge. And I will say the success. So I, you know, I, I have to, I have to credit uh, Nick Saban maybe for some of my own personal success. Right. Um, you know, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, you know, the several national championships that he has, has taken his team to, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to kind of jump on that wagon and, and, and sail into the sunset with the Crimson Tide a few times. And then, of course, over at Auburn, you know, they've had a lot of success, you know, maybe a little bit more up and down, but getting to cover the 2013 national championship when they played Florida State was another great opportunity. And so, yeah, I think that being in this market at such a time when there was so much success, and then on top of that, the SEC network launched when I was in this market. And so, you know, I'm a girl. I went to school at Rutgers when they were in the Big East. And then I covered the ACC, mostly Virginia Tech and UVA, for, for a couple years. And then made my way um, here to Alabama to cover the SEC. And it sort of was a progression for me because you just see how important the SEC is and how much people live, eat, and breathe you know, college sports, especially football down south. And I would say the success of those teams and just the profile of the teams here in the state of Alabama has helped really um, 
you know, impact, I would say, my resume and what I've been able to cover over the course of the last several years. Yeah, it's true. Timing and taking advantage of opportunities are always an important part of the the whole picture for somebody's career. So you are an award-winning reporter, Alabama Sportscaster of the Year, Emmy Award winner, AP Best Sports Anchor for multiple years. What would you say is your approach to storytelling? Well, I kind of go back, and, and, and this is more of a reflection for me, is when I got into the TV industry, my thought about TV and, and being a sports broadcaster, of course it was the sports, you know, that's the central focus here, um, but it was more about covering the games. It was more about the wins and losses, about the confetti, you know, hitting you on the head when, when you know, Alabama or Clemson or whoever wins the national championship, but that was sort of my thought process coming into the industry was, oh, you know, man, you get to cover these games, you get to interview some of the most prolific sports figures. But now when I take a step back and sort of have evolved and matured and grown in this industry, I've become more aware of what what my passions are and really what this industry is all about. And that is the storytelling. Because I think that that confetti falling on the field that's a story. That is, those are layers of stories of people that comprise this particular team, the coaches, the fans, the people, the athletes. It's so much more than just winning a national championship and hoisting a trophy, right? And I think that's what I have become so, um, you know, in love with in this industry is the ability to tell those stories because I truly believe that telling people's stories and being on the platform, we almost have, to me, it's a public service. We have the opportunity to share a story that has the ability to impact the lives of others. And I think that is so important. And that is what I've come to realize that this business is more than just the national championships and the wins and the losses. It is about the people and the stories that we get to tell day in and day out. I love that. And it's so true. And I think that's exactly why I've enjoyed being a part of this business as long as I have as well, is that the ability to get behind those stories and really get into the depth of the winning and losing. It's not just about the winning and losing. It's the depth of the personalities involved in it. So last year, you joined the crew of the SEC Network's traveling pregame show, SEC Nation, as a reporter. How have you handled that pressure of being in such a high-profile environment? Like you said, the SEC fans, they're a pretty passionate group, and there's these really strong personalities uh, in, the, in the SEC coaching circle. Uh, I have to imagine there's some struggles dealing in that kind of a pressure cooker. What do, how has that been for you? <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this out there right now. I am actually so very thankful that I did not go to, go to school in the SEC because let me tell you, you are darned if you do, darned if you don't. Right. When you go to school, like, thankfully, Rutgers is, like, on nobody's radar here, right? So, you know, Rutgers is a blip on their radar. Um, you know, we're always, like, the Cinderella school that people cheer for because, uh, you know, bottom of the barrel, and they want to see us succeed and, and knock off some of those bigger teams, like your Ohio States of the world, right? Right. So it's funny because when I got here, um, you know, I think I started to realize that people put you – they, 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 they categorize you. It's, it, it's not, hello, how are you doing? It's, are you for Alabama? Or are you for Auburn? Are you roll <laughs> tide or war eagle? I mean, that's how it goes, right? That's, I mean, that's the conversation. That's how it always starts here. And so I, I joke about that all the time, about being kind of thankful that I didn't go to school in the SEC, but I am so thankful to be part of the passion 
that is here in the SEC. It has been so much fun covering sports. And again, as you said, the passionate fan base that comes with it. And it's not just the sport of football. It's every sport, um, male and female sports. And just the people and being around it, and like you said, some of the biggest names and some of those personalities, um, you know, it's really been a lot of fun, uh, you know, covering sports and getting to know these people. And it's, it's kind of funny because you start to learn the personalities, and it's not just the coaches. It's like the programs, too. Like, you learn the personality of the program and the players, and you start to kind of know, okay, when I walk on campus and cover this school, you know, I sort of know, you kind of know what you're going to get. And you know sort of what you want to relay to the fans. Because truth be told, the Alabama fan base is so much different than the Auburn fan base. It's something that Alabama fans would think is so funny. Probably wouldn't go over well for the Auburn fan base and vice versa. They're just two totally different people. But I think that's what makes this unique. And obviously traveling around, covering, um, you know, all of the SEC with SEC Nation has been so much fun. Uh, getting to learn the personalities and the people, you know, at all your campuses, because you always get that question. What's your favorite campus? You know, what's the best tailgating scene? And, and um, you know, it's it's hard because every single campus is unique in, in and of itself. And so I think that's what makes this, this job so much fun because it's not just the teams and the programs, it's the personalities and, and everything, you know, sort of the, the, the match that makes up this entire, um, you know, conference. Lauren, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. We'll finish up with this. Weekly, I have young men and women reach out to me and ask me how to start their career in front of the camera. It's a desire of so many people in our audience. What is your advice to those young people? As someone who has gone through the ups and downs of of a career in front of the camera, who can sit up proudly now and say, I'm an award-winning reporter. And if, even if you don't say that to yourself, I'm going to say it to you because you are, <laughs> and you've earned that, you've earned that title. Um, what is it, as you look back and reflect a little bit, what kind of advice would you share with the young people that are coming up today? Well, I think the biggest thing that when I look back and reflect on it is that's tough about this business is someone that always wants to achieve. You're always looking for that next thing. And I think it's important. I think it's a great thing because you never want to be complacent. But I also think that whole cliche term of, of, of enjoy the journey, don't just focus on the destination, I think is so true. Because you spend so much time wondering, okay, what next? What next? What next? And then sometimes you forget to quote unquote, I'll take this one from Nick Saban, be where your feet are. And yeah. I think it is so important to look at that and be thankful for where you at, be, be thankful for the experiences that have led you there and really kind of relish in it and take it all in and embrace it. Because I think I spent so much time, especially early on in my career, thinking, okay, when am I going to get there? When am I going to get there? Um, what's next? And that frustration of, you know, am I doing all the right things? There were times where I wanted to throw in the towel and say, maybe this business isn't for me. Maybe I need to, you know, look at something else. Um, you know, but I stuck with it and realized that, you know, through discipline and obviously the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears, you know, you get to take that next step and you sort of get to write your own story and, and you know, flip through the pages and, and, and go through each chapter. And I think it is so important to take every chapter in stride, enjoy the journey. Um, to me, that is so important. And then what, what else, I, what other, other things I tell people is making those connections. You know, we talked a little bit about that earlier with making those connections, networking, because, you know, it is what you know, but it is who you know. But those connections are so important. And it's not just 
making a connection, it's fostering those connections and those relationships. I think a lot of times, a lot of times, um, you know, especially in this business, we, you know, might meet somebody or we work with certain coaches or certain people and you want that instant gratification. Okay. Well, you know, I, I've developed this great relationship with a coach. I want to go ask him for an interview. You know, that's not always how it works. Sometimes it's, it's you're fostering these relationships for years. My first one-on-one with Nick Saban didn't come until four years after I had been here in the state of Alabama. I had been fostering that relationship and working towards developing a reputation here in the state of Alabama as somebody that could, you know, do an interview and, and try to talk to Nick Saban and, and talk to him outside of his, his common circle of football, you know, and then that's sort of been what led me to be able to do the Charles Barkley, Nick Saban interview where I was able to get them together to the award, um, the award winning, the award winning Charles yeah. Barkley and Nick Saban interview. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, but that, you know, what a fun project. But that was something that developed over time. My relationship with Charles Barkley has developed over time. And so I think it's so important for people to realize you make this connection. Somebody hands you their business card. You save it in your phone. You save it wherever. Foster those relationships. Develop those relationships. Pick those people's brains. And obviously, um, you know, uh, timing can be everything. And so I think that you got to plant the seeds. you got to water them and watch them grow. And then lastly, I'm going to tell you is that Never forget to say thank you. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned in this business, especially working at ESPN and SEC Network and on various shows, is that every single person working on that show is just as important as the next person. And when you have a big operation, a big production like SEC Nation, it is so important that everybody has to be on their, on their A game. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody has an assignment. And I think that everybody, you know, I'm only 1% of that entire product. And so that is one thing I always try to try to, to do is to remember to thank all the people around me because the audio guy, the person running cable, the person running the camera, um, the person doing my makeup, doing my hair, uh, you know, making sure that I've got fuel for the day, whether it be drinks or food, every single person has a job to do and an assignment. And without them, my job wouldn't be successful. You know, I'm only 1% of this operation. And so it's so important to thank everyone around you and to be thankful for, you know, everyone that is there to help you in your successes. And I truly believe that, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without those people. Lauren, your perspective and your approach is inspiring. I seriously, I cannot thank you enough. I think we could talk for hours longer about all this sort of stuff, <laughs> but I appreciate, I know. I know, right. I appreciate you being so open and sharing, and I know that it will give such a positive perspective to our audience. And I just really appreciate you coming on today and talking about all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, it's been a real, a real, um, a real great opportunity. And, you know, I certainly hope that anybody's out there listening, they can certainly reach out to me on social media. You know, I'm, I'm at Lauren Sisler on everything. So if you want to shoot me a message, I'd love to, if you, if you have any questions or need any advice, I'd love to help out in any way that I can. Maybe it's just the older I get or being a parent and seeing my kids grow up, but these type of conversations just shatter me sometimes. I am like, I don't know, an emotional wreck sometimes hearing Lauren tell this story. And her and I conducted this interview a year ago. This is a rebroadcast, but listening back to it again, I'm just thinking, wow, how strong of a person 
she is. And that's inspiring. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for everything you do as part of our audience and for being part of our community. It does mean the world to me. Uh, you should connect with Lauren Sisler. She's a great person to continue learning from. Follow her on Twitter. Check with her on LinkedIn. Watch her on SEC Network. She's a pretty amazing character. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe out there. Put on a mask, too. Stop making this an issue. Put on a mask. 